Jennifer, how are you? Are you having a good day? Has it been bad? Um, so you have been to my house before. That's accurate. I've been to multiple of your houses before. I mean, so many of my houses. <laughs> uh, chronologically, not at the same time, though. <laughs> well, that we don't know that's that's true because, like, it could be one of those alternate uni- uh, universe things where you have been to all of those houses simultaneously, but not as y- just this current version of you, but many versions of you. Oh, yeah. Or it could be a long con where you're like, oh, no, we move. But really, you still own that house and you don't want me to know about all your wealth. That's true. I'm Oh my! God. I'm holding out. Can you hear my cat? No. Which one is it? <laughs> it's sushi. He has this meow like he's mourning a lost loved one. Like he's like those internet cats that like say like, ow. And he's walking around the kitchen doing it because I think he wants to go outside. His beloved. His, well, it's nighttime and he used to always want to go outside and make a, the cat love, but he got fixed recently. Um, and so sometimes he still wants to go out and I'm like, you can't make any more kittens, bud. You but. don't have any cat love left in your genital area. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe he's like, it's not, a, it's not like that. We just like to snuggle. Okay. Like, sure. Sure. Sushi. Sure. Yeah. Whatever. Anyway, he's being real sassy. I think he sassed himself into quiet. Well, what I was going to tell you is that, you know, the highway that I live off of is like, oh yeah, basically a post-apocalyptic landscape because <laughs> the amount of construction. It kind of is. So, um, on the one hand, it's very interesting because there's this giant mound of dirt that if it's very early in the morning or late in the evening and you're driving by it you go oh that's a mountain but it's not a mountain it's just a big pile of dirt oh my god (laughs) and also i am talking to you from a blanket fort right now I am pretty jealous of your blanket fort i'm not gonna lie so far it's pretty warm but it's very impractical. I'm going to have to be smarter about my blanket fort in the future. I do not have a blanket fort. I just have a house full of asshole pets. Um, they're all still here. Season two. Uh, no one has been cooked yet. But they're quite sassy tonight. Uh, oh, I've been listening to this Australian podcast. Um, all of the old Aussie mystery hour. And um, they always say zesty. Like... <laughs> Like, when anything is, like, exciting or, like, uh, like spicy or scandalous, they say zesty. So, yeah, my pets are being very zesty. I just heard some meows on your end as well. That would be the fat baby. Fat baby! He really wants in Well... He wants, he's like, I heard there are zesty cats who are ready to fuck on the other side of this door. <laughs> and Sushi's like, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so, uh. 
are all things terror. Oh, we are all things terror. We are a podcast about science and history and true crime and things that are generally spooky and creepy and terrifying in many, many different ways. Yes, the last episode uh, featured Terlapia, and this episode features just a mournful cat. (laughs) A mournful cat. Um, Yes, a mournful cat. And Jennifer, do you know where you can go to not hear a mournful cat? Is, Is this about to be a really bad joke? No, it's just about to be the story I was going to tell you. Okay. Where can one go to not hear? Wait, is this about space? Yes. <laughs> I can't believe you guessed that. I mean, I am the the most scientific out of the two of us. <laughs> Yeah, sushi in space. Nobody can hear you, morale. (laughs) No one cares about your lost balls in space either. (sighs) Oh, my God. Yeah, so I feel like in season one, we talked a lot about how Earth wants to kill you with all of its people and colonies and forests to get lost in. And wouldn't you think that space is a safer place to be? Well, maybe not. I don't know. Um, Mostly, I should say, this is about astronauts. I am one of those people that, like, the fact that space is vast doesn't really terrify me. Although I understand that it does terrify a lot of people. But, like, I don't know. The ocean is vast. Asia is vast. I've never been there, but I'm not afraid of Asia. Like, uh, who cares if space is vast? I'm not going to lots of places. (laughs) Okay, but hold on. There are people, like, legitimately afraid of swimming in large bodies of water because it's a large body of water. Well, that makes sense because I think we actually know more about space than we do about the ocean. And the ocean is full of mystery and animals that will eat you and seaweed that will touch your foot but you won't know that it's seaweed until after you freak out and then your cousins laugh at you that's true um i'm sorry (laughs) you're like that's true and very specific (laughs) i was gonna say first off very specific but secondly now i'm just thinking about man foot eating seaweed this should be part of our chowzilla series for sure like like a seaweed it's just like a little like eel looking thing a seaweed but it actually has like a big shark mouth at the end oh and it only eats feet we can borrow from like the general physical design of a lamprey ah yes yes this is all coming full circle Exactly. So the ocean, reasonable fears. Space seems like it might be safer. Well, maybe not. You would be wrong. You would always be wrong. So the thing, and I think when I try to science or I find a science interesting, uh, it's mostly about like the human body. And so the question I had is what happens to your body in space? And for anyone who's American, um, there's been a lot of noise in recent years about an astronaut named Scott Kelly, 
because he went up in space and lived there consecutively for like a year and didn't leave the space station. And people were like, wow, this is so cool. And I mean, it is cool. Um, he spent, um, he spent 520 days in space, which is a lot. That's well over a year. But in terms of the people who have spent the most time in space consecutively, he is number 20. Wow. He's not even the American who's done it the most. That would be Peggy Whitson. Bow, bow, bow. Girls run the world. Who run the world? Girls run the atmosphere above the world. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that oh, was so that bad. Was just a, That was a terrible joke. Um, but one of the reasons, so you might be saying, why is there all this noise about Scott Kelly then? That would be an excellent question, hypothetical Emily. Well, as it turned out, Scott Kelly is an identical twin. And his identical twin brother, Mark, is also an astronaut. So what they did was they sent one guy up and kept his identical twin on Earth. And identical twins are, are special because their genes are like more similar than fraternal twins or regular siblings. So, like, for example, when they do DNA testing, like, on forensic files or whatever, and they're like, this DNA secretion from your semen, blah, blah, blah. Well, with identical twins, those are the same. So, like, if you have an identical twin and you leave your DNA or your science goop, I don't know, this is, like, approaching yes, the edge of my understanding. Your science goop. But it's... <laughs> Your science goop is indistinguishable from an identical twin science goop. So they're... Also, why is it always semen in <laughs> forensic files? I don't know. I mean, maybe just because it's the most obvious fluid. Like, if someone has a little bit of sweat on a shirt, you may not think to, like, do something with it. But it is always semen. What is it in, uh, is it super bad where, um, oh my gosh, the cop, I can't think of his name, Seth Rogen, he has a joke or he's saying something where he's like, man, I thought TV did not prepare me for this. Before I became a, a cop, I just thought there'd be semen on everything, like semen, semen, semen. And, but yeah, I, listen, if you're a cop, weigh in, tell us, is Seth Rogen correct that that is not how it goes or is Forensic Files correct? And that is how it goes. So, your semen slash science goop is going to be the same if you are identical twins. Right. So, the point, which I know there is one and it takes us a while to get there, is that because they're so similar on a very, like, small molecular level, um, they could take a bunch of tests and then send someone up and not only have baseline tests to compare them to, but say, okay, after a year... How would you have aged in Earth versus how would you have aged on space or whatever? Um, and like if we're going to send someone to Mars or, or something, you know, long term, this is really important. So as it turns out, being in space is insane and a lot of really weird things happen to you. Um, and I will read you a quote from Scott Kelly. He said, quote, I lost bone mass. My muscles atrophied and my blood redistributed itself in my body, which strained and shrank the walls of my heart. More troubling, I experienced problems with my vision, as many other astronauts had. 
I had been exposed to more than 30 times the radiation of a person on Earth, equivalent to about 10 chest x-rays every day. This exposure would increase my risk of a fatal cancer for the rest of my life. End quote. Um, And when they compared him to his brother, they saw a lot of changes on an epigenetic level, which means that epigenetics is like, genetics is just what your genes look like and how they do their stuff, right? And epigenetic changes are things that don't change the gene itself, but change the way that that gene does its business. So like there have been some studies not involving astronauts with epigenetics and like people who survived famines like in World War II and then their like descendants have genes that do different things with food. Not really the point. But the point like when he was talking about his problems with vision, that was one of the ones that they saw on an epigenetic level where like your body is changing, not just in the sense of your body changing from being in space, but at the level of your genes, the way that it's starting to work is totally different. So your body is adjusting to being in space down to your molecules, not just like, oh, fluid retention. I feel bloated in my head or whatever. Oh yeah. That's interesting. Super Um, interesting. You know, some of those things make a lot of sense. Like, yeah, your muscles would atrophy, right? Mm-hmm. And I've also heard, like, your height can change in space, and that also makes sense. But it's a little more mysterious and maybe a little more concerning when you're talking about, like, your actual molecular structure Yeah, is now changing. Well, and from what I read, and a lot of this was on NASA and... um the Scott Kelly stuff is still kind of being studied and tested, but it seems like a lot of the things revert back. So like, they're like, we're seeing these epigenetic changes, but we don't know that they're permanent. Like um, when he says as many other astronauts had, like that's actually a really common thing that astronauts come back and they're like, my eyes are terrible, but then their eyes like readjust sometimes and actually get better or not better, but they get back to where they were. And the bone density is another one, right? If you lose bone mass or your bones and muscles atrophy, your height will will change too. I, I feel like this relates to this conversation that we had in our podcast meeting, which is, but I got better. <laughs> right, yeah. I became a radioactive blind person, but I got better. <laughs> well, this is... Okay, so this is kind of cool, right? So you go you go into space and you technically become an entirely different person. Yeah, or at least you're partway on the way to partly on the way to becoming a different person or at the very least make like creating different descendants than you would have if you had never gone into space. Or, you know, experiencing uh, So I have so many questions. So like does this mean like does this translate and then you know i hope there's real scientists out there to answer this dumb question i'm about to ask but like if you're if your genetic molecular level whatever can change in you know just space does that mean that it stands true for like if you are on a different planet do you become also structured differently i mean that's a really interesting question and i think i think one of the scott kelly like why this was like he was on npr and everything and 
and why they like were like, yeah, we're going to do this and send you up and not your twin is also like, what if you live on another planet? But also, you know, going to Mars would take us a whole person's lifetime. You know what I mean? So like if you were in a rocket ship and it took you 10 years to get to your destination, would you be a totally different kind of human by the time you got there? Oh, yeah. And then let's say that's true, and it only takes us 10 years to get to Mars, and we're colonizing Mars now, and people are having kids there and stuff. Like, how long would it take for the humans on Mars and the humans on Earth to be different? And how different? If you commit a crime on Mars... Oh, no. Is this this total recall? (laughs) (laughs) A blue sky on Mars. That'll be the day. (laughs) (laughs) How long does it typically take for these changes to revert back? I don't know. I know that, like, when they get back, um, one of the things, and Scott Kelly talks about this, but I've also seen this in a couple other accounts is that you have to like relearn anything balance related. So like walking, you know, I imagine driving, but uh, like standing on one foot would be like impossible because you, you learn or you learn when you're in uh, anti-gravity, you lose the sense of what up and down mean. And so I think, you know, if you've ever been like on a boat or like on a trampoline and then you get off the trampoline and you're like, whoa, I thought I'd still be walking. Like, I think I thought I'd still be bouncing. I feel like it's got to be like that, but like even more disorienting. Or just always being in moon shoes. Yeah. <laughs> do you do you remember that? I do. I had a friend who had them and I was so jealous. And then I remember like trying them on at her house once and being like, Okay, that did not live up to expectations, but I'm still jealous. I don't even know why. That's legit, because I also did not own them myself. And it was weird, because the marketing for those shoes were really good. The marketing was amazing. I mean, it made it sound like you would, like, feel like you had tiny trampoline on your feet. But really, it was, like, just little baskets. You're, it's like, you're literally on the moon. And it's like, how can I literally be on the moon? This is literally Earth. But it's like, no, really, you can bounce forever like you're on the moon. And then I did. I tried them on because so many in my neighborhood had them. And I realized that a trampoline, first off, is just, like, way better. Oh, my God. Trampolines are so cool. Although, as an adult, they terrify me. I remember going up, like, five feet in the air as a kid. <laughs> Just like little human popcorn. Without a helmet. Or a net. I, or a net. Oh, God. No, so, like, for sure, the trampoline was better. But, too, like, I don't know how much you remember about them. But I do know, like, I was trying to run in them one time to, like, get, like, the full sense of the bounce. And uh, running in moon shoes is definitely how you die. I just, I remember they wouldn't stay on my feet. What what kind of feet did you have? Like I don't know, maybe t- super tiny feet? I maybe. I mean, I have kind of small feet now. Okay, that's fair. That's true. You do have abnormally small feet. <laughs> I mean, they're not like doll-sized feet. They're just slightly smaller no, 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 no. than most people my size have. <laughs> 
Don't don't lie to the public. She has like doll feet. There are no feet. I, it's just like it's like they taper into nothing. I'm like a I'm like a normal sized woman, but then my feet are like the size of cat paws. <laughs> Actually, my feet are cat paws. <laughs> All things terror. Emily's feet. Strange cat paw feet. It's true. It's true. I'm finally coming clean. I'm coming out of the cat paw feet closet. So we really went down a weird hole. Anyway, (laughs) so moon shoes, not worth the money. You're like recalibrating anything balanced. Um, I don't know. I didn't see that reference, but I wonder if it's like when you're on a trampoline where the longer you're on a trampoline or in space, the longer it takes you to readjust. So, I mean, does this... I feel like this means that we have to do an experiment now. Like, we have to go up in space? I mean, yes, if that's possible. If not, we should just, like, be on a trampoline for a week. And then- oh, my God. <laughs> what is going to happen when we have to go to the bathroom? <laughs> well, you know, the trampoline, like, there are spaces oh between, God. like... Just poop, <laughs> just poop between the uh, like metal rings on the edge. The springs, yeah. The springs, yeah. Oh my god. Um, there's your poop reference, everybody. Oh gosh, we didn't get a poop reference in the first episode, though. So, well, I guess we'll just have to trash it. It's the lost recording. Yep. Yeah. We failed. We, we failed. failed America. We failed America. I'm so sorry. So anyway, so. Another astronaut speaking about um, the, like, losing your senses. It's really weird. Um, They experience, like, when you're in space, this also happens. And I heard this called your proprioceptive system, which tells where your body is in relation to everything else, right? So, like, your proprioceptive system, if you're, like... And maybe I'm saying that wrong. But like if your hand is moving and someone's like, touch your ear, and then you can do that because you can tell how your ear and hand are like around each other, right? But in space at the beginning, they totally lose that sense. Um, This one guy, I got the article, but they didn't say what this astronaut's name was, was that he was drifting off to sleep and he saw like an arm float by And he was like, whose arm is that? And then he was like, oh, my God, it's mine. (laughs) Like, you basically become a baby. Like, if you've ever seen babies where their, like, arms are flying around and then they, like, hit themselves in the face and they look all scared. (laughs) That's what happens to our best and brightest. Do do the astronauts also have to wear... Like the mittens that newborns have to, so they don't scratch up their own faces. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but I wonder if like someone has to cut, like come and trim all their nails before they go into space, so they don't they don't <laughs> cut their faces. They do have to sleep in like little zipped up sleeping bags, so they don't float away. Though <laughs> it was kind of like swaddling a baby, I guess. I shouldn't laugh, but it's. Nope. It is funny because we're not making fun of people that, like, can't help it. We're making fun of, like, smart, athletic people who are getting a once in a million chance to experience space. And then funny things happen to their bodies. And they recover. Is it worth it? Uh, You know. Best and brightest. Is it worth it? I will say all of the, I've read two books by astronauts and I've read 
like a couple, well, I'm partway through a third one and I've read like other things, but all of them talk about growing up in space, like, like a religious experience or like addictive. Like they just, they are these people who can describe anything. And then they're just like, there's nothing like it. It's insane. I would do anything to like go up there again. Like it's worth any risk. It really sounds like going up there and being in space and like seeing earth changes your psychology in a way like that experience is something you don't walk away from was it their psychology that was changed or or did space change their brains oh i mean there you go scientists of nasa here's your next research project and speaking scientists of nasa are like no we have way better things to do they're not even listening to this (laughs) i would be I would be impressed and excited and so, so, so deeply sorry if a NASA scientist (laughs) scientist listened to our podcast. I tried to say astronaut, but I wanted to say scientist, and I just said ass three times and then said scientist. So, (laughs) good lord. I can't breathe. Well, Emily, you really impressed everyone right there. I love that on the episode where I'm talking about very smart people, I am sounding very dumb. (laughs) Uh, You know what it is? I'm doing a sober, I'm calling it sober October and February. I'm not drinking for the month of February, just because. And normally I have like a little beer, maybe a michelada while we record. But tonight, no mas. Uh, it's just just a little sipping vinegar, and um, it's making me silly. It's uh, it's hard to it's hard to do it sober. <laughs> <laughs> so all those times when we sounded drunk, we weren't drinking, dear listeners. And all those times we sounded just full of sparkling wit and intelligence, we were probably a couple drinks in. And right now we're both very. Very sober. Yeah. Feel sorry for us. Okay. Send us booze money. <laughs> Send us booze. Yeah. I mean, I'm into that. Um, okay. So you're in space. You are becoming a baby. The fluids in your body are going all over. And so you get like a bad headache because um, everything is weird. This one, um, you have all the fluids in your body will shift north as opposed to staying where they are because of gravity. And this one astronaut, Marsha Ivan, said, quote, your body compensates and loses about a liter of fluid in the first couple days. You essentially pee the headache away, which is interesting. The other thing is that if you, Jennifer, are a person who gets motion sick, are you? Nope, I am I am not, but you are, aren't you? I Yeah, I get seasick, so fuck boats. And actually, I've never gotten car sick, but the other day... Taylor and I were driving to Denver, so just like an hour drive or whatever, and I was knitting, and I started getting really queasy. Like, I can read in the car, but I apparently can't knit in the car. Oh, that's weird. It was weird. I was like, this doesn't make sense, but I put it away anyway, because I did not want to puke. But apparently a lot of people get really nauseated in space, um, which makes sense. Like, you, they describe, like, zero G or is, like, when you're on... 
a, uh, a roller coaster or something and like your stomach flips up. So it's like feeling like that all the time, I guess. So it makes sense you get nauseated. But uh, one really hilarious, I, this is funny to me, but uh, in 1969 during the Apollo 9 mission, um, one of the uh, astronauts, Rusty Schwickert, uh, was going to do a spacewalk, which is where you like are in your spacesuit and you're walking outside of the spacecraft. And they had to change it because he was like seasick for so- for like a few days. And <laughs> they were worried that if he threw up while he was in his spacesuit, quote, the fluid could spread through his helmet, making it hard to see or interfere with the breathing apparatus. <laughs> Oh, God. That's awful. Can you imagine? You, like, puke, and then your puke is, like, on a a glass screen directly in front of your face. (laughs) And also it's the instrument of your death because you can't breathe. I know. I know. So, yeah, uh, you can get seasick. But uh, there are other things that go into space besides humans. Another thing that they're always studying... And actually, before I get there, I would say that NASA, when they talk about astronauts, and you can find this on their website, one of the things that they always are studying is, like, um, the psychology and, like, are you okay with confinement? Are you okay, you know, not being able to communicate? Are you okay with all this stuff? And, like, nowadays, like, astronauts have internet and stuff. They have, like, Instagram and... um, (laughs) They actually, like, the International Space Station has an Instagram. They're verified. Um, So, like, it's not as isolating as it used to be. But, like, you know, in 1969, you were talking to your ground control sometimes. Um, And even when they launched the first ones, the, like, Yuri Gagarin and um, some of the very early space launches the communication systems were actually like some of the like most imprecise things and so the idea that you might lose contact with everyone and a lot of those early ones were small too so you were in there by yourself was a lot more pressing but they still study like you know are you gonna be okay up there um are you okay with confinement are you okay i already said that um but so they really are studying like all kinds of things with humans are you okay with only being able to use instagram to communicate with other human beings yeah another one is like um a loss do you know what instagram is are you (laughs) are you okay with like a loss of control oh interesting so Yuri Gagarin was the first man in in space, um, and he was a, a USSR guy. But in his spaceship, they had fake controls because Gagarin was like a fighter pilot, so he was used to like, you know, knowing how to like handle um, a craft in the air in in really difficult situations. But they were like, okay, well we've built all this science and um you know this is a really big thing and we're going to control it from the ground and so they had like like a pretend control panel and they're like if you know something goes wrong we'll give you this code and it will like switch over the controls and the code was like four numbers 
And the USSR had this big thing of like, well, we have to hide it somewhere where he'll be able to find it if he's panicking, but not so easy to find that he might just find it randomly. And so it was this big to-do. And then right before Yuri Gagarin got into his spacecraft, um, like his big boss leaned forward and was like, these are the four numbers. Like, I'm not supposed to tell you. And, you know, this is USSR, you know, Soviet Russia. You're you're not going to get fired. You're going to get disappeared. Your whole family's going to get disappeared. You're going to be erased from, like, pictures or whatever. And this guy leans <laughs> forward and says this to Gergerin, and Gergerin smiles. And he's like, oh, everybody already told me. So, like, all of these people were like, uh, this is a bad system at the last minute, um, which is kind of heartwarming. But also, I'm talking about this... USSR, but um, America's early uh, launch rockets, whatever, were the same way, where the idea of the astronaut controlling anything was like, <laughs> no. Preposterous. <laughs> yeah, and they really had to fight to, like, prove that they could do it. So, yeah, like, can you handle not being able to fix anything, not being able to do anything, so on and so forth. Um, so they, they really study a lot of stuff with humans into space. However... They also study other things. I think recently on the ISS, the International Space Station, for those of you in the know, um, they had like cotton plants or something. They're always they're studying cotton. They're always sending plants up because like you have to worry about how much weight you're carrying and food is really heavy. Like liquid is really heavy and a lot of food is liquid. So if you're going to like Mars, you know, food isn't going to last long enough or you can't pack enough food to last that long. So like, could you have a garden like um, that movie with Matt Damon where he's stranded and he makes poop potatoes, the Martian, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. But anyway, I'm dis- so I'm disturbed by the idea of poop potatoes. You haven't seen that movie? I have not seen the Martian. The Martian. Um, okay, let me explain poop potatoes real quick. So Matt Damon is on Mars with a couple other people and they're doing science and there's some sort of storm or something happens and I think they think he's dead and so they all escape, but he's still there and he's like, well, fuck all y'all, I'm going to survive. And he can't communicate with NASA or something and so he's like, well, I have to figure out how to make food. And they have a bunch of seeds. And so he, but he's like, okay, well, I need soil to plant these potatoes in. And so he collects his poop and mixes it with something else and then plants potatoes. And then he just lives on potatoes. So poop potatoes. Yeah, poop potatoes. A lot like mushrooms, but potatoes. It, very similar. Yes. Okay, I'm on board. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> so um, one of the things that they have noticed is that salmonella gets more virulent in space. And virulent is like it's disease causing, like, can it make you sick? There are other bacteria that will behave totally differently when they're grown in space than they do on Earth. They all, a couple of them develop what's called a biofilm and... I don't really, I think that I understand it in this way. Like the NASA article that I got, it said 
Biofilms are complex three-dimensional microbial communities commonly found in nature. Um, most biofilms, including those filmed in the human body, are harmless. Some biofilms, however, have shown to be associated with disease. So diphtheria, for example, if you get diphtheria, which hopefully you haven't because you were vaccinated as a child, um, one of the things that happens is they get like a coating in their throat and it gets like hard and brown and it's stinky um, and it's bad for you, diphtheria. Or like if you've ever had strep throat and you get like the white. Oh God, the colonies. Yeah. Yeah, the bacteria colonies. I picture it kind of like that. But anyway, so that. But a film. Yeah. So so something like that. So there is um, some bacteria that will form. Again, this NASA thing says, quote, a column and canopy structure that they don't do on Earth. And I'm guessing that maybe and also some of them, this biofilm or when they start cultivating, they have more mass or they're thicker than when they're on Earth. So there's something about becoming people. Yeah, there's something about not being in gravity that kind of gives bacteria colonies more oomph. (laughs) <laughs> as a hairdresser of mine used to say your hair needs some oomph <laughs> there's also and i don't know how accurate this is because i found it on like one weird internet source and i didn't really see it anywhere else but the the prior to the international space station there was a russian space station mirror and apparently they had a film growing over its windows which is weird because you know, what's growing. But they found out that it was uh, bacteria and also like fungi spores. So coming back to our mushrooms and that they had like a little bit of corrosive um, effects. And of course you want everything to be like super, super, super sanitary before you send it up. But apparently fungi do quite well. And sometimes they can like, like appear. I don't know actual mushrooms, but like, you know, fungi lichen or something. That one might not be real, but that one I think is interesting. I'm just thinking, like, it sounds like uh, having mushroom farms in space uh, would be very profitable. Yeah. Especially if we can just get, like, a bunch of truffles growing. Well, I find it interesting that I know that they experiment with growing plants in space a lot, and it's, it's not always very good that sometimes they get, like, they they don't really prosper from what I understand, but I, I didn't research that too extensively. But I find it really interesting that organisms, biological organisms other than humans would behave differently and that bacteria would behave differently. Well, maybe their, you know, molecular, blah, <laughs> molecular structure is also changing, right? Yeah. Humans change I mean, bacteria could change. I'm pretty sure that actually we just all evolved from bacteria that once lives in space. <laughs> I mean, that's the I'm convinced now. that's the Big Bang theory, right? Like something lands on this rock, it has bacteria in it, so on and so forth. Eons pass, the sun rises, the sun sets. Here we are. If any of those biofilms suddenly have an arm, then. First off, run. <laughs> Secondly, we have our answers. Well, and I, it is also that idea, too, that I, um, this idea of 
well, bacteria behaves differently in space, so maybe, like, how we fight bacteria could behave differently in space, which could have ramifications for how we fight bacteria down on Earth. Or other things like cancer, which is, you know, cells just going crazy, right? But, like, if cells react in different ways when we put them under these conditions, could we replicate it down here? That's interesting. It's also scary. It's scary. It's scary to me, too, to think about it replicating because viruses can replicate and bacteria can replicate really fast. So if their behavior and I mean, behavior is probably the wrong word. That's not the word that scientists would use to describe bacteria, I'm sure. But if that would change when they're there and then they're replicating, could those replications change even more so that we have something totally new we've never seen before. And then we have the movie Alien. I mean, yeah. Germs are scary. All of that is scary. Uh, But also, um, because most of this is about astronauts, not like the yawning chasm of space. Um, But also way more... Way more American astronauts have died in missions and trainings than Russian cosmonauts. So, like, I think there's this reputation that Russia was just, like, cobbling together their space program. And that's kind of true, but they were better at it. They did this thing where, when they very first started the space launch, where all of their rockets were, like, had the same fittings in the same parts. So if they had to replace something, they could just screw off one part and screw on another. And the U.S. like didn't do that. They like redid all of their stuff from the ground up every time they built a new shuttle. So not only were the Russians better at not dying, but they were also better at recycling. Yeah, <laughs> recycling is a good way of putting it. Also, the, a lot of other things that come from Russia are really common to the space program now. So like, uh, you know that stereotypical like orange jumpsuit that you picture astronauts wearing, like in a uh, Armageddon and stuff like that. Yes. That comes from the very first man that went into space, Yuri Gergerin, who BT Dub was really cute. <laughs> but when he launched, he wasn't landing in the shuttle. He was going to be ejected out, and it was Russia in the winter. And so they made it orange so that they could, like, find him when he fell in this field full of snow. Which is very practical. It's super practical. Like, I kind of, I'm, I, I'm almost done with this book that's a biography of Yuri Gagarin, and I just love the practical weirdness of the Russians. Like, they also, the around Yuri Gagarin's time, they were, like, bringing the rocket to launch, and they pulled it on, like, a train or something, and they were like, yeah, here's the most, like, technological, like, the most advanced technology being, like, put in place by, like, one of the oldest technologies. It was just, just delightful. <laughs> And that and that is poetry. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Russians are also way ahead of the U.S. in all records. Um, I started this one talking about Scott Kelly and Mark Kelly, the Scott Kelly, the guy who was up in space and had all these weird things happen. And his brother is also a uh, astronaut. I almost said his brother is also a twin. Like, oh my gosh. Anyway, but yeah, that was a big deal because he lived in space for a year. But in like. Who has spent the most time in space consecutively? He's number 11, I think. Let me look. Oh, no, I'm lying. He's number 20. And, like, almost all the people before him are Soviet Union or Russian. And actually, who's in the the only American in the top 10 of 
uh, astronauts who spent the most consecutive time in space. That would be a woman, Peggy A. Whitson, number eight. Hey, uh, and she spent 665 days in space, which is so close to the devil's number. It is. Do you think she she left just so she wouldn't hit that number? Well, according to Wikipedia, she spent 665.932 days in space. <laughs> so she's so close. Point one day. That's like... Two hours and she would have hit the devil's number. I do kind of feel like that would have been the best. Also, can you imagine spending that much time in space? Yeah, I... Well, and this is like their total days. um, But yeah, Scott Kelly spent like a year consecutively. And it feels very... Yeah, you, you would have to not be claustrophobic at all. I feel like I would get very bored. I mean, maybe not because all the astronaut things that I've read, the astronauts are like, it's, it, they talk about being in space the way that like your white friend who has dreadlocks and is really like calls music festivals, his hobby talks about drugs. Like it's just, (laughs) you can't understand it, man. It's religious. Like they do feel very like I would like murder my child to get to go back in space one more time so maybe you wouldn't get bored but in my imagination i'm getting bored because apparently i'm better than all astronauts i would just really hope to be able to get a lot of reading done but i know that they have like jobs that they have to do while they're on the spaceship you know because there's a lot of daily maintenance of the spaceship but then there's Mm -hmm. also all their fancy astronaut research stuff that's like very science they do a lot of science. They do many units of science while there. <laughs> many sciences. <laughs> yeah, you, you have to be pretty much a scientist, I think. But also one other thing I will say, speaking to this idea of getting bored, and I believe that I said earlier that I would we would be bringing back the idea of drinking. And here you go, Clint. We are actually doing a callback instead of saying we're going to do a callback and then not doing it. But speaking of the Russians... The first space station, so now we have the International Space Station and all kinds of people go there. But the first one was Mir, M-I-R, and it was Russian. And the cosmonauts who went up basically just, like, kept it in serviceable condition. And, like, their whole job was, like, making sure it didn't fall apart. They were not doing a lot of sciencing. And so to keep themselves from being bored, they used to fucking drink and smoke cigarettes on the space station. (laughs) So you can't you can't smoke on a plane, but you can smoke in the place uh, space station. That is mind blowing to me. Like, what what the literal what? Yeah, uh, uh, like we have condensed oxygen in like its liquid form or whatever the fuck it is, and it's highly explosive and it's keeping us alive. Let's light up a cigarette. I am. My mind was blown when I read that. I just picture these people like, have you seen the videos where they have like little droplets of water floating through the space and then you can like swim up to it and like nom it? I'm just picturing that with like vodka while they have like a big cigar and they're just like swimming (laughs) and like nomming vodka everywhere. Oh man, I bet it's probably pretty fun to get drunk in space though i i wonder if space messes with your i mean until you get 
too drunk and then you throw up and you're like floating around in your own vomit. I mean, that would be hilarious, but I wonder <laughs> if um, space messes with your tolerance at all. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I bet it does because like um, when I lived in Louisiana, I went back to Nevada where I'm from and Nevada is like, I mean, Louisiana, I was at 30 feet above sea level. Like, three zero, that's it. Like, you can walk to sea level. And then Nevada is, like, 3,000 feet up or something. And a friend of mine was like, hey, take it easy. Um, like, the alcohol is going to affect you a lot more. And I was like, whatever. And I had, like, one beer and was like, holy shit, and super hungover the next day. And so that's just an earth. So I would imagine that you're you're having a different relationship to your body and to, like, the air that you're breathing. So I feel like it would do something. We need to find some cosmonauts who are drinking vodka and cognac, apparently. Yes, we, we need answers. Someone cosmonauts. tell us. Uh, hey, uh, I know that our listenership includes a pretty big base of former uh, Russian space professionals. So <laughs> please Good. come to our Instagram and tell us. <laughs> Cute, Cuban spies, former Russian astronauts, uh, lots of scientists. Yeah, we're we're pretty reputable. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, yeah. That's our main demographic. <laughs> uh, the the source that we don't include in our show notes is all of our friends who are telling us about these like top secret programs and whatnot. And in their real lives. And their yep, in their real lives. Also, one other thing. This is my closing point because I said that we could be astronauts if we were more athletic um, and. Well, I would have to get a, a science degree, but all of the most of the launches come out of what's called Star City in Russia. It's like the main hub, kind of like Cape Canaveral or Houston in the U.S. And um, they still like launch a lot of things out of there. And now one of the things that all like part of the training for all U.S. astronauts is to learn Russian. So that's a neat little uh, tidbit to close us out. Do you want to learn Russian? Speak Russian, nom, vodkas, what? Do you want to learn Russian with me? I do. I really, um, so there's this thing in Russia called the Trans-Siberian Railway, and it starts, I can't remember if it starts in Moscow or St. Petersburg, but it it starts there, and then it's like a cruise where you're like on the train, and then they stop in these places, and you can get out and do a little day excursions, and you get back on the train, and it ends in Beijing, and I've wanted to do this for like 10 years, but it's really expensive. And now I feel like perhaps not a terribly safe time to be traipsing around Russia. But yes, we'll learn Russian and then we'll do it. Well, and and I bet there's I bet there's cheese, so we can just fold this into our <laughs> cheese vacation. Well, and then also it can be part of our part of our trek to become astronauts because I ha- I have enough degrees. It'll it'll I could get a science degree. I'm confident in that. I mean, I feel like I could, except I suspect that there's math involved in science, and I have a hearty, healthy fear of math. It's just, it's just numbers, Emily. It won't, you can't get lost in numbers and never be found. That's true. That's true. Uh, it's, it's certainly not going to make me so dehydrated that I want to drink my own pee. So, <laughs> hey, I can handle it. <laughs> Yeah, so I feel like, hey, I can handle it uh, is an excellent place to end our episode. I think so, too. This is good. All right, cool. So I'm going to stop recording. I almost hung up on you instead. Whoops.
Do three, two, one. Okay, fine. I'll stop it. All Things Terror is written, recorded, and produced by two amateurs, Jennifer and Emily. Our sound editor is Clint. He's back from outer space. We just walked in to find him here with that sad look upon his face. Our intro music is by Cosimo Fog. Come chat with us on Twitter at All Things Terror or Instagram at All Things Terror Podcast. If you like this episode about space, just know that in addition to this podcast, you can also follow the International Space Station on Instagram, and also a lot of astronauts have their own Instagram accounts too. I'll at them uh, if you come visit us. So, goodbye forever. Clint, you can cut out the silence while I look it up and sing you a song. Keep the song in if you think it's funny. Um, He spent 520 days in space.